0: and welcome to the Learn to Lead podcast brought to you by Ability, an experiential learning company based in beautiful Austin, Texas. I'm your host, Matthew Confer, and today on the show we have Scott Dust, who is the chief research officer for Cloverleaf, a technology company focused on team dynamics. He is also a professor of management at the Farmer School of Business at Miami University, and he holds a PhD in organizational behavior. Thanks so much for joining us today, Scott. Thanks for having me, Matt. I want to start by discussing a recent article you wrote that was titled, A Letter to My Students, and it was all about embracing a growth mindset. So first, can you define what a growth mindset is? And second, what prompted you to write the article at this moment in time?
1: Right. So a growth mindset is this mindset where you are resilient, focused on learning no matter what, no matter what the experiences, right? Challenges are viewed as opportunities to grow and develop. And it seems like a timely topic when the pandemic hit and students were forced to on the fly go from face-to-face instruction to online instruction, literally in 48 hours. And I mean, they were really thrown for a loop and were uh, caught on their heels and were struggling to keep up and struggling to learn the new processes and it just seemed very fitting uh, for the moment. And, you know, I was trying to get across to the students that in an unfortunate and ironic way, the pandemic created this opportunity that really the academic system is supposed to be for, which is to learn and, and embrace an experience that is going to be challenging, but in the long term will be worth it. And so I was trying to frame it as, you know, if there really is any silver lining in this,
0: it's that you're going to learn things about yourself that you never thought were possible um, and new opportunities. Hmm. So on that topic of kind of personal development to, to turn the, the spotlight on you, you, you spend your life focused on, on leadership development and organizational dynamics. And we'll get into that in a little bit more depth. But what do you seek out to kind of enhance your own performance and maybe asked in your own language, how do you embrace a growth mindset in, in your own life?
1: Right. So for me, it's, it's similar to what I teach and what I research. And this is, it's this perspective of what I would call self-leadership. So we all know leadership is just influencing others towards common goals, but you can also influence yourself towards some uh, self-prescribed goal as well. And so it's, it's a process, right? It's not, um, there's no silver bullet. There's no uh, magic formula. It takes time and effort and you have to be self-aware. That's the first step of this self-leadership process, right? What are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? What are your blind spots? And then from there, you have to actually self-regulate, right? I got to do something about it. And that entails being aware of context, aware of others. And that all takes a lot of self-reflection, it takes hard work over time, right? So I like to think of this process of improvement, development as uh, very awareness-focused and trying to figure out what it is that you can do to, to grow and develop over time.
0: Hmm. One of the things you said there was influencing others towards common goals. And then you talked about kind of the awareness. What are those other things that as leaders and maybe even framed as rising leaders or as new leaders that you see people struggle with that if they want to get to that next level of being able to influence others towards common goals, what are the types of skills that they need to be successful in that pursuit? Right. That's a really, it's really, I mean, the common, skills employers say they're looking for
1: are things like communication skills and resilience and grit and ability to figure it out. But I would also say, um, I'll I'll take a step back. I was listening to a guest speaker for one of my online classes this summer. Um, He is one of the consultants uh, at Cleaver Corporation, and they do all sorts of executive development uh, and leadership coaching and Mike essentially was framing to the students the fact that it's okay to not know the answer. You, you're not expected to know everything out of the gate. If anything, what we want is this mindset of acknowledging what you don't know and being the one that can figure out how to get there. Right? This idea of fake it till you make it is, uh, it sounds good in theory, but in practice, it doesn't work out in the long term. Right? No, ask good questions that's more important than pretending like you know the answer and be determined enough to figure out what to actually
0: do to, to make it work for you. Hmm. Okay, so I'm going to embrace that and something that I don't know and so I'll, I'll embrace the it's okay to not know is I don't know a lot about what the field of academics looks like for those that are involved in it. Can you take us behind the curtain of what a, if I could say, a typical day looks like for a professor at a business school?
1: yeah sure the um, The breakdown is is typically a portion of your time is dedicated to research, another portion to teaching, another portion to service, and that might be committee work for the university um, or for your department or for your business school. but the teaching you know it just depends on what school you are are working for. You might teach anywhere from two to five classes a semester um, and you know, you're constantly trying to develop new, better material, whether it's based upon the new delivery method uh, or ensure you're incorporating the latest and greatest and going to conferences and learning how to uh, improve based upon pedagogical practices. You know, that's a big part of what we do, of course. But I think uh, the other bucket, this research bucket, is probably what I know at least students don't understand as well. I'm not sure about the general public as well is that I would say the majority of our time is spent on on research, especially tier one institutions. It might be as much as 80% of their time. And that is really trying to create novel, interesting contributions to social science. Uh, I mean, organizational behavior is my focus. And it's basically organizational psychology, human capital, things like that. And so we are Coming up with research models, we're figuring out where we can collect data that would be representative of the research question of interest. And whether in, in my case, I develop a lot of surveys, sometimes do experiments, and analyze that data once collected and then write it up in a traditionally 40 to 60 page research paper and submit it to journals. And the journals have like a, I don't know, 5% acceptance rate. And even when it is accepted, most of the times takes two, three years to go from um, original submission until it's actually in press. So it's a lot of deep thinking, just one-on-one with you and your computer. It's It's a good portion of our day.
0: So you, you mentioned kind of organizational behavior, which I'm somewhat familiar with, but I'm interested, where has the field changed the most in the last, let's say, two to three years that has maybe surprised you or that you wouldn't have expected given that you've been in the field for a while? And then as kind of the follow-up question or the corollary question, where do you think it's going two to three years from now to kind of get ahead of some of the trends of, of where you see maybe the research going? Yeah, great question.
1: So I would say one of the um, most common trends that, whether it's the Academy of Management or Society of Industrial Psychology is suggesting that academics need to be aware of, or academics and practitioners need to be thinking about is, uh, is big data and in particular how that big data is being leveraged for machine learning and artificial intelligence and making sure that it's used in human capital fields in a way that's ethical uh, and helps both sides of the table, the employer and the employee. Um, There's lots of innovative stuff going on for hiring and training, et cetera. And so I would say that's maybe a trend that I think is real that more and more research and resources are being put into. And in terms of just like the ebb and flow of what's interesting um, for leadership scholars and practitioners, you know, there's always like the next big Thing in terms of this is the best leadership style that um, we've ever seen, and here's why it's so important, and here's why it's going to be different. Um, the reality is, yes, we're we're learning a new leadership approach, but it's not going to work in all circumstances. If anything, there's a tried and true theme that it's really supposed to be a, a contingency theory of leadership. There's three different things you got to consider to determine what is the best approach to leadership. You got to consider you as a leader, right? What are your strengths, weaknesses, et cetera. You also have to be aware of what the followers really need. And that might change over time, right? You might have one group that you're following now that is following you now and a different group later. And then also the context changes, right? The context we're in now during the pandemic and being in crisis mode is much different than what it was six months ago. Right. So you have to be aware of those three different factors and where does the Venn diagram overlap for all three of those factors to decide what's the right way to lead right now. Right. So I would say there, I think that recognition is coming. The challenge with that is that that's really hard to quantify and that's really hard to kind of get your arms around because it's so abstract. But I would say most leadership scholars would recognize that that is the correct answer if there is a correct
0: answer. Hmm. So one thing that fascinates me about kind of your background and what you're working on is, is you're, you're working on a lot of different things. You've got the academic side. You're also the chief research, office, research officer for an organization. You write for a decent amount of different publications. How do you kind of balance your day and how do you find the ways from a productivity perspective to really maximize your time given all of the different avenues that you're taking um, your time? <laughs> I'm definitely not doing it perfectly, but what I, um, there's a few different things
1: that I think at least work for me. Um, I do try and engage in, and there's like this chunking versus sprinkling mentality. Um, I try and chunk my days, talking days and non talking days. So right? i talking days, I'm teaching, I'm having uh, office hours, I'm meeting with people like you and trying to get out there into the world and have uh, conversations and, and learn that way. And then also on the non-talking days, I really should be doing nothing but writing, doing data analysis, et cetera. That just seems to work for me. Um, And then also I would say being really clear on what the long-term goals are and then working backwards for how much time am I gonna allocate to all of these different tasks. The number one thing that's worked for me is saying no. And I've had to learn that the hard way and you know before i had kids and was married i had all the time in the world and i could take on all the projects i wanted and uh, i'd eventually get it done if i just worked through it um i like to say i'm a recovering workaholic and i don't have that luxury anymore right i have to be really strategic about what i'm going to do and why and i think it really comes down to being authentic and honest um with colleagues and coworkers. and and i also think that it's really important to um to express that prioritization with the people that you work with and explain why. I think a lot of people just kind of hide behind their calendar um, and, you know, slow to respond on emails, but I've learned from some really good colleagues that they're just very straightforward about, here's what's on my plate, here's my prioritization system, let's have a conversation and, I can, and we can work together to decide if it needs to be moved back or moved forward.
0: Hmm. We've asked that question of a lot of guests and the talking, non-talking day kind of paradox is a really interesting one that nobody's brought up yet, but I I think that's a a really fascinating approach to it. And one of the the publications that you write for, and I'm assuming you spend some of your non-talking days focused on, is uh, Psychology Today. And your section in that publication is entitled, What We Really Want in a Leader. So sorry to somewhat kind of put you on the spot here. (laughs) what do you think we really do want in a leader it might not be quantifiable into one or two characteristics that every leader has to have but on a broad level given the research that you've done and the individuals you've interacted with if you had to boil it down what do you think we're really looking for yeah and i'll answer that kind of indirectly and that whole psychology
1: today blog is really trying to illustrate through evidence and through existing research that a lot of the times we are attracted to the wrong things. And so, for example, uh, some of the things I've written about so far, we uh, are more likely to rate leaders as high performers when they're more attractive, when they're taller, when they're funnier. Um, And I've also uh, done some writing and research about, we are way more likely to build a connection and, and feel like our leaders are, um, are of high quality when they're like us, regardless of what that looks like, sounds like, maybe demographics or orientation, motivations, et cetera. And so where the angle I'm going is that we have to be aware of our cognitive biases to make sure that our ratings of, of what we think they're supposed to be, it's actually something that is productive. Um, and so what are those productive elements? I would say uh, it really comes down to some pretty simple things, right? We want them to be honest, Uh, and authentic, we want them to be uh, capable, we want them to care about our own well-being, we want them um, to be uh, challenging and developmental, uh, and we want them to help us be successful, right? And the bigger challenge is figuring out how to to, to check those boxes uh, in a way that's gonna make sense for the organization as well as, as the follower.
0: I think a, a lot of your content is really interesting in the way you present it. And I think that's why it's powerful. What do you wish that you had known when you started out on this journey of, of writing and doing research? What would you kind of tell your younger self to prepare for?
1: Yeah, I think probably the biggest thing. Well, let's put it this way. When I was applying to PhD programs, I don't really think I understood um, what scholarly research was, and I, th- I just thought, you know, you'd write about things you were interested in, and you'd read a bunch of books, and you'd show up in the classroom, and, and do your thing, put on that dog and pony show. Um, what I didn't realize is, is the rigor, and the, the need for precision, and how statistics and probabilities are really, uh, are what are informing us for the right way and the wrong way to do things. I think I just had this very um, idealistic vision of what leadership is. And when you really start peeling back the layers and seeing what's real and what's not and what's myth and what's fact, it is, uh, it's kind of mind blowing. Um, But there's so much out there. It's just hard to, to know what's the right thing to evaluate. It's hard to know what to read and what not to read. It's hard to know who to listen to and who not to listen to and so i've kind of made that my personal mission and i really want to kind of be that that bridge between the academic rigor the science and um and a practicing community that is looking for high quality resources but maybe not 100 percent sure where to go
0: that was one thing that um, stuck out to me when i was reviewing your i think it was your linkedin profile and it talked about your goal in a lot of the work that you do is to bridge the gap between science and practice. How do we do that at, or how do we do that more effectively at organizations, whether they're small organizations or massive organizations, is there something that we're missing in that gap between maybe the science and the approach that we wanna take and how we actually put that approach into practice?
1: Yeah, I think each, each company is different, but I would say it, it's not as scary as what you think it is. Um, you know, the, I, I would say, for example, I've been asked by lots of different organizations uh, and consultants for help in understanding reliability and validity for their assessments, for example. And, and I'm, I've come to realize that I'm not really sure people 100% understand what they're asking for and, and what exactly all that means. And so I do think that just having a very basic body of knowledge and understanding for some of the science can go a long way. And you don't have to start doing theorems and proofs to really understand what's going on behind the scenes and why something's useful or why it's not. Um, so I, unfortunately, I just think there's this, this connotation that it's just over, over, over our head. I know at least I thought that way um, when I was starting to, uh, to do some more stringent social science research. Um, but I don't think, I think it's more attainable than what uh, people realize.
0: Well, that is a great piece of optimism to leave us, and the tangible knowledge of not having to do theorems and proof is, uh, is music to my ears when it comes to stuff. <laughs> uh, so thank you for joining us today. We do have, still have time for our final two questions that we ask all guests in a rapid-fire nature, and the first one is this. If you could describe your personal leadership style in one word, what would that word be? Uh, awareness. And I know it's
1: the lightning round, but I have to, I have to clarify, of course. Clarify. <laughs> so, I mean, to me, I mentioned this earlier, right? It's all about the self-leadership process. There's no such thing as, as the final product, like going straight to the final product. What does a good leader look like? It's a leadership and leadership development. It is a process and it takes self-awareness and it takes other awareness as well, Right you got to know and be in tune with who you are and, and what your capabilities are. But you also have to be empathetic, ask questions, and be very observant of those around you. And, and that's really kind of where my leadership and teaching um, background interest is, right? It's helping with that other awareness aspect. And then also with Cloverleaf, this is why I feel such a strong affinity for that organization, is that's really, I mean, their mission is to create high-performing teams. And they've picked up on the fact that you're not going to know or even remember all of the things about yourself and others, you know, on the fly, right? Where we have cognitive limitations, we just can't do that, right? And so they're constantly creating um, coaching tips and nudges for people to remember those things in real time for their um, for their situation. And that's, I think, super helpful.
0: And that, again, is, is really all about awareness. Hmm. That's great, and the final rapid-fire question is this, what is the best piece of advice that you have ever received? Uh, let's see, uh, when I was, I
1: that's probably in my 20s, I had a manager um, whose tagline was, honest, intelligent effort is always rewarded. And that really stuck with me. I've got that written out on a piece of paper and I stuck it on my uh, work monitor and that really it's important to me because it's a reminder that there really are no shortcuts there's no hacks Um, you just got to put your head down and do the work but you can't just work hard you got to actually work smart as well like really reflect on what you're doing and why um and my guess is that 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 whole mantra probably aligns with your audience right like why else would they be listening to a podcast called learn to lead you know we all want to learn we want to grow we want to think um, it's not a, it's not a destination process. You constantly have to be applying that honest, intelligent effort and, um, picking up new things and learning and trying things out and seeing what works the best for you, uh, or putting it on, on a shelf that you might be able to pull out later for some new circumstance in the future.
0: Hmm. Well, Scott, I am so glad that we caught you on a talking day because this, is, <laughs> this has been great. And your insight has been wonderful. Where can our listeners find out more about you?
1: Sure. So uh, if they want to know more about me, you can go to scottdust.com. That's pretty much the landing page for my research and content and social media stuff. So Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, stuff like that. Um, If listeners are interested in uh, Miami University, go to miamioh.edu. And if they are interested in the business school and what we're doing in human capital analytics, they can put a backslash. FSB for Farmer School of Business in there. And if you're interested in uh, Cloverleaf and some of those tools, go to cloverleaf.me uh, to learn more information uh, about their platform, which is essentially a, a SaaS platform that, again, the goal is to build high-performing teams. So it's automated coaching tips based upon all sorts of psychometric data. Um, so individuals, if they're interested, of course, should benefit from that, but also human capital professionals um, or consultants that um, are in the industry would benefit from uh, from checking it out. There's all sorts of tools that they can use as well because all that data can boil up to the enterprise level and that's really helpful for more strategic human capital decision-making, like hiring, leadership, and development, stuff like that.
0: Well, that sounds great. Well, thank you for all of the great insight and all the great work that you're doing and thanks to all our great listeners for joining us. If you enjoyed today's show, we would love a rating and review in your podcast app of choice and we truly appreciate it when you share this show or any of our shows with your network you can find me on social media at matthew confer you can find our podcast at on instagram at learn to lead podcast and you can find our organization ability that is a b i l i t i e at ability.com and be sure to subscribe so that you get our next episode and i want to thank all of you for joining us on the learn to lead podcast